Welcome to the February 3rd, 2022 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we'll discuss the role of megakaryocytic transcription factor ARID3A in leukemia suppression. Learn more about the efficacy of a third Pfizer BNT162B2 mRNA COVID-19 vaccine dose in patients with chronic lymphocytic leukemia. And discuss the association of heterozygous caseinolytic peptidase B variants with congenital neutropenia. Our first topic examines data presented in the blood article entitled, The Megakaryocytic Transcription Factor ARID3A Suppresses Leukemia Pathogenesis, by Oriol Alejo Valle from Martin Luther University of Halle-Wittenberg in Halle, Germany, and colleagues. Acute megakaryoblastic leukemia, or AMKL, is an aggressive subtype of AML believed to originate within megakaryoblasts in the bone marrow. Children with Down syndrome are at a particularly high risk of developing megakaryoblastic leukemia, termed megakaryoblastic leukemia of Down syndrome, or MLDS, suggesting a link between chromosome 21 and AMKL. AMKL in these children is often preceded by a transient myeloproliferative syndrome known as transient abnormal myelopoiesis, or TAM. Mutations in the hematopoietic transcription factor GATA1, which occur in fetal hematopoietic stem progenitor cells, or HSPCs, are a distinct feature of MLDS. The mutations cause the expression of an N-terminal truncated protein known as GATA1S, which acts as a dominant negative form of the transcription factor GATA1. However, the expression of GATA1S alone appears to be insufficient to cause AMKL and MLDS. Research to date has shown that both erythroid and megakaryocytic differentiation pathways are perturbed by an interplay between GATA1S and oncogenic factors on chromosome 21, which have not yet been identified. Three microRNAs, LET7C, MER99A, and MER125b are part of a phylogenetically conserved cluster on chromosome 21, and all three are highly expressed in TAM, MLDS, and non-Down syndrome megakaryoblastic leukemia. However, the exact role of this microRNA tricystron in the pathogenesis of TAM and MLDS and its function in perturbed HSPC differentiation remain poorly understood. In the current study, investigators aim to provide a better understanding of the interplay between GATA1S mutations and the MER99A125B cluster by conducting a series of experiments aimed at systematically analyzing the targetome of MER125B, the dominant oncogenic member of the cluster. They used a previously generated murine model of GATA1S-driven preleukemia in which the GATA1S mutation was introduced into fetal liver cells using the CRISPR-Cas9 system, in combination with fluorescence-based lentiviral barcoding, to screen for the synergistic leukemic activity of each member of the MER99A125B cluster. 
Experiments in animals revealed major synergy between GATA1S and MER125B, leading to a massive expansion of fetal liver cells, which was partially attenuated by the addition of LET7C and or MER99A. Furthermore, MER125B enhanced the GATA1S-induced expansion of CD117-positive stem progenitor cells including CD117-positive, CD41-positive megakaryocytic progenitors. Importantly, MER125B-transduced GATA1S fetal liver cells caused high-penetrance megakaryoblastic leukemia upon transplantation into syngeneic C57 black 6 j recipients. The leukemic potential of GATA1S-MER125B combination was further confirmed by the finding that leukemic blasts are able to engraft and induce leukemia in secondary recipients with 100% penetrance. Next, the authors looked for the downstream targets of MER125B. They screened 220 predicted MER125B targets that are downregulated by MER125B in HSPCs using an in vitro short hairpin RNA-based positive selection screen. The screen was complemented with RNA sequencing after switching MER125B expression on and off to identify the key oncogenic drivers. Experiments in AMKL cell lines and patient samples were performed to confirm the findings from murine models. Studies identified a significant enrichment of shRNAs targeting 13 candidate genes. In switching MER125B expression on and off, investigators found that sustained MER125B expression is required for the enhanced proliferation of GATA1S fetal liver cells and related transcriptional changes, including the induction of MLDS-like expression signatures. Additional experiments revealed that only one candidate gene, the transcription factor gene ARID3A, was downregulated upon MER125B induction and re-expressed upon MER125B release, which implicated ARID3A as the primary player in the synergy between MER125B and GATA1S. In line with these findings, targeted disruption of ARID3A led to in vivo induction of AMKL, even in the absence of MER125B while overexpression of ARID3A resulted in rapid differentiation and a proliferation block of AMKL cell lines and patient samples. The authors further found that during normal hematopoiesis, ARID3A promotes megakaryocytic differentiation in combination with GATA1 and mediates TGF-beta-SMAD23-induced cell cycle arrest and apoptosis. Taken together, this study identifies ARID3A as an essential player in normal megakaryopoiesis and an important contributor to AMKL pathogenesis. In an accompanying commentary, Justin C. Wheat and Ulrich Steidl from Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York note that the study by Alejo Valle provides compelling evidence for the role of MER125B and deregulated ARID3A in GATA1S-driven leukemogenesis. In addition to being an important milestone in the understanding of AMKL biology, this work sets the stage for multiple lines of further inquiry into both normal megakaryopoiesis and AMKL pathogenesis. 
questions that need to be addressed by future studies include how the MER-99A, MER-125B cluster is regulated throughout the hematopoietic hierarchy, how each of the encoded MERs are tuned to meet the requirements of various HSPC compartments, what distinct epigenetic signatures are facilitated via ARID-3A collaboration with GATA-1 and SMAD-23, and why is ARID-3A necessary to induce transcriptomes compatible with megakaryocytic differentiation? Wheat and Steitel believe that this last question could be key to exploring the pharmacological intervention aimed at correcting deregulated epigenetic signatures in AMKL megakaryoblasts as an adjuvant to the current standard of care. Next up, we'll discuss the findings from the blood article entitled Efficacy of a Third BNT162B2 mRNA COVID-19 Vaccine Dose in Patients with CLL Who Failed Standard Two-Dose Vaccination by Yair Hirashanu from Tel Aviv University in Tel Aviv, Israel, and colleagues. Patients with chronic lymphocytic leukemia, or CLL, are at an increased risk of developing severe forms of COVID-19 and subsequent mortality. Patients with CLL are also more likely to develop persistent COVID-19 infection and experience prolonged shedding of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Prolonged infection may, in turn, create additional opportunities for in-host genomic evolution and development of new viral strains. Studies to date have shown that the immune response to COVID-19 vaccination is reduced in patients with CLL small lymphocytic lymphoma, or CLL-SLL, and that the response depends on disease activity and ongoing treatment. Administration of a third dose of the mRNA-1273 COVID-19 vaccine manufactured by Moderna has been shown to be safe and to increase antibody titers in organ transplant recipients. Similarly, a third dose of Pfizer's BNT162B2 mRNA vaccine resulted in seroconversion in 44% of solid organ transplant recipients who had been seronegative after the first two doses. In light of these findings, in the current study, investigators aim to evaluate the serologic response to a third BNT162B2 mRNA vaccine in patients with CLL or SLL who failed to achieve an antibody response after the initial two-dose vaccination. The study was part of the Israeli CLL study group and followed 172 patients with CLL or SLL at seven medical centers in Israel from July 2020 through August 2021. Study participants were 18 years or older, had no known history of SARS-CoV-2 infection, and failed to obtain a serologic response two to three weeks after the second BNT162B2 vaccine dose. The primary endpoint was the proportion of subjects with anti-SARS-CoV-2S antibodies in peripheral blood samples three weeks after a third vaccine administration. Antiviral humoral response was determined using a surrogate viral assay, and neutralizing activity was assessed in 54 patients with a high-throughput fluorescent reporter assay. The median patient age was 72.1 years, and 69.9% were males. 
100 patients were on active therapy, 40 were treatment naive, and 32 previously treated. Investigators found that 41 of 172, or about 24% of patients, developed an antibody response to the third vaccine dose. Response rates were comparable in treatment-naive patients and patients off therapy, 40% and 40.6% respectively. However, patients who were on active treatment had a response rate of only 12%. Response rates were also low, namely 15.3%, in those actively treated with BTK inhibitors or venetoclax with or without anti-CD20 antibodies. Of patients treated with anti-CD20 antibodies less than 12 months prior to the third vaccine dose, less than 4% of patients responded. There was a linear correlation between anti-SARS-CoV-2-S antibody levels and neutralizing antibody titers. Independent variables associated with response included lack of active therapy and serum IgA levels greater than or equal to 80 mg per deciliter. Taken together, these findings indicate that almost one-quarter of patients with CLL or SLL who failed to achieve a humoral response after the standard two-dose BNT162B2 vaccine series responded to the third vaccine dose. In an accompanying commentary, Seema Bhatt and Jennifer Woyak from the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center note that the findings of the study by Hiroshanu and colleagues confirm the benefits of an additional dose of vaccination for CLL and SLL patients. However, since around 37% of this vulnerable group continue to be seronegative and susceptible to severe morbidity and mortality from COVID-19, additional interventions should be considered to extend the benefits of vaccination in this group of patients. Bot and Woyak believe that every attempt should be made to vaccinate patients before starting anti-CD20 antibodies, and consideration should be given to postponing this treatment until after vaccination, since multiple reports to date have shown that the vaccine response is markedly impaired during and immediately after treatment. Insights from ongoing studies will hopefully reveal any possible utility of mixing and matching different COVID-19 vaccines additional vaccine doses, and long-acting monoclonal antibodies in patients with CLL, SLL, who are unable to mount a vaccine response. In the final part of today's podcast, we will review a report published in Blood entitled Heterozygous Variants of CLPB Are a Cause of Severe Congenital Neutropenia by Julia Warren from Washington University and colleagues. Severe congenital neutropenia, or SCN, is a rare inborn disorder of granulopoiesis characterized by severe chronic neutropenia, an arrest of granulocytic differentiation at the pro-myelocyte or myelocyte stage, and a propensity to develop myeloid malignancies. Approximately one-third of cases of SCN do not have a known genetic cause. Elaine is the most frequently mutated gene in SCN, occurring in approximately 60% of SCN cases. Elaine encodes for neutrophil elastase, a protein released by neutrophils during infections. Elaine mutations are also found in cyclic neutropenia, which is characterized by recurrent episodes of neutropenia occurring every 14 to 35 days. 
several recent reports have suggested that biallelic mutations of casinolytic peptidase B, or CLPB, are associated with cataracts, neurologic disease, neutropenia, and 3-methylglutaconic aciduria, and also with variable neutropenia. CLPB encodes an ATPase implicated in protein folding and mitochondrial function. In the current study, investigators performed exome sequencing of a large cohort of individuals with congenital neutropenia without mutations in neutrophil elastase, with the aim of identifying an underlying genetic cause. Exome sequencing of 104 individuals revealed heterozygous missense variants of CLPB in five SCN cases. Five additional cases were identified using additional sequencing efforts. All variants clustered in the evolutionarily conserved ATP binding pocket on the CLPB protein, which is necessary for the hydrolysis of ATP. Interestingly, 3-methylglutaconic aciduria was not observed in these patients and other clinical features, such as cataracts and neurologic disease, were also uncommon. Experiments in primary HSPCs revealed that both wild-type and variant CLPB are localized in mitochondria, but only the CLPB variants found in the ATP binding pocket induced mitochondrial dysfunction and decreased ATP production. Furthermore, the expression of CLPB variants was also associated with impaired granulocytic differentiation and enhanced apoptosis without negative effects on the cell cycle or increased stress on the endoplasmic reticulum. A closer look at the mechanism by which faulty ATP hydrolysis alters granulopoiesis found that mutated CLPB acts in a dominant negative fashion to disrupt the function of wild-type CLPB. CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing experiments confirmed that cells with genetically deleted CLPB showed similar phenotypes as CLPB variant overexpressing cells. Taken together, these findings demonstrate that heterozygous CLPB variants are a new and relatively common cause of congenital neutropenia, which may have profound implications in the search for new therapies. In an accompanying commentary, Claudia Lengerke and Julius Kukawa from the University Hospital Tübingen in Tübingen, Germany, note that the findings by Warren and colleagues identify heterozygous missense ATP binding pocket CLPB variants as a new genetic abnormality in congenital neutropenia. Furthermore, it appears that these heterozygous missense mutations are sufficient to induce severe neutropenia with no consistent non-hematologic findings. Lengerke and Skokawa postulate that the different phenotypes are likely induced by the position of the mutation and dosage of the CLPB variants. They conclude that the data reported in this study will not only expand the diagnostic options for patients with congenital neutropenia, but also lay the groundwork for a better understanding of the biology of granulopoiesis in general. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.